Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. show this out of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome everyone to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host Bill Smith and we are excited and glad that you're here with us. Thanks so much for downloading and taking the time to listen to me and my illustrious co-host. You know, if my co-host were stuck in a Dominion prison camp with, you know, Worf and, and Bashir and Martok and, and Garrick... They would probably leave him there for dead, and I would do the same thing. <laughs> He's the largely left behind Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Hope you don't miss your ride. You wouldn't be leaving me behind anywhere. I'd be defeating y'all in the Jem'Hadar pit there, Mr. I, Man. I, I wouldn't be there. Oh. Oh, because you'd leave me behind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a heartbeat. I'll just hide in the wall. <laughs> That's, uh, welcome to episode 103, buddy. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, it's, <laughs> you think I'm a little excited for this episode, Bill? No. No. Well, uh, we've, been, we've been wishing this one for over two years, I think it's safe to assume. Um, when we first started this journey, uh, way back when, we came up with a list of names of who we would like to have on as special guests on the podcast. And my first choice was the man who we will be speaking with tonight. General Martok himself, J.G. Hertzler, and I am so excited. Uh, me too. I tell you what, um, it, you surprised me with this because you set this up while I was on vacation. Indeed. And uh, I was sitting <laughs> I was sitting at a bar in Jamaica when you sent me the text message because I was able to get Wi-Fi there and checking my messages, and all of a sudden I see this from you, and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? I'm freaking out at a bar on a beach in Jamaica, and people have no idea why. I'm like, I wanted to scream out, ah, we got J.J. Hertzler. We got him. We it's, got him. It's kind of funny that you say that because if memory serves, you were on a cruise when I booked Andy Robinson and I told you while you were away too, if I remember correctly. That's kind of cool. Uh, that, wow. That's, that very well could be. I honestly have forgotten. So basically what I'm, has uh, to happen and for all the good shows to happen, you just have to go on vacation. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, everybody. See you later. Uh, Dan, would you uh, be so kind as to tell the good folks at home how they might send me ideas for vacation destinations <laughs> or uh, or perhaps other cruises that I may take so you can do some stellar po- programming for Trek Geeks? I'd be happy to. Uh, as always, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, uh, you can find us at Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. 
or call us at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. You can also do the same thing by going to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Also, as always, our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is available for you to join. Heather, Jackie, or Dan will be happy to let you write in to share in all the fun. And being a member gives you early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. So that's always a plus. And uh, there's just one very important thing you need to remember. What you say, we use. That's all. Back to you, Bill. Yes, sir. Wow. You're just, you're getting very uh, ordery. Not ornery, just to the. I'm excited. I want to get to the interview, man. Let's go. Oh, no, not ornery. I said ordery. Like, <laughs> oh, you're just or- ordering people around, like, oh, do or no, do this. I would never. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we love our listeners. <laughs> we do. Dan loves you in particular. I love more than I love you. Dan, it's time to uh, to give away more stuff. Ow. What? What was? What was that? Did you did you step on something? I, I, that was my cat impersonation, and it wasn't very good. That was terrible. That was very bad. But uh, yeah, for the last couple of weeks, uh, over on Camp Kittimer, we have had a uh, a kind of a a giveaway uh, in the making to give away two copies of the book Star Trek Cats by Jenny Parks. All you needed to do was uh, post in that pinned. Uh, post on, on our Camp Kidmer page and it entered you automatically into this giveaway. So, Bill, I've got kind of a plan for how we want to do this. You want to hear it? I'd love to. All right. So, over the course of the last two weeks, we have had 23 posts with pictures of cats or pets or whatnot. Uh, so, we want to thank all of the people that have uh, partaken in this uh, fun and frivolity. And what I want you to do, Bill, is pick two numbers between 1 and 23. And that will determine the two winners of the wonderful Trek Cats book by the illustrious Jenny Parks. Okay, I think I can do this. There's no pressure, right? Last time I checked, you could count to at least 23. So I have a lot of faith in you. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm going to pick two numbers. The first one will be uh, number seven because that's how old my dog Abby is. Number seven in my spreadsheet, which I have right here in front of me, is someone that you and I know very well, and that would be Ms. Heather Barker. Nice. (laughs) And this was not staged. It is right here for everyone to see. Heather Barker wins a copy. She's got a lot. She's very involved with pets, so I think that's very cool. I think it's only fitting, and and, uh, I'm sure she will be very excited when she hears this, because we're not going to tell tell her ahead of time. No, we are not. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see the tweet. (laughs) Oh, me too. And then um, the other number I'm going to pick is 15, because mentally that's how old I think you are. Okay, well, number 15 is Barry DeFord, so that is number two for Star Trek Cats. Congratulations to both Heather and Barry. Um, We will get in touch with you both to get uh, shipping addresses so that we can send this awesomeness to you, and uh, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. It's quite an amusing 64 pages of Star Trek cat fun. 
That is awesome. Heather, Barry, thank you so much for, for participating and listening as always. You're both such uh, great participants in Camp Kittimer and um, we're excited that, that you're a part of it all. So uh, good on you. Uh, Dan, we also have an update on our Cosplay for Good campaign. And my friend, uh, we are almost one third of the way there in less than a week. It really is amazing, and we want to thank all the people that have already contributed. Yes, we are up to $320 of our $1,000 goal uh, for this Cosplay for Good. We are going to dress up in TNG scants, and we are going to uh, raise money uh, for the Nevada SPCA, and it's uh, it's really great to see the response that we've already gotten. Couldn't be more happy. Oh, me too. You know, in fact, uh, I've been schooled many times. We keep saying Nevada, and apparently people in Nevada don't like that. Oh. So we should probably call it the Nevada SPCA. Yeah, but we have accents. We're from New England. You know, it's wicked cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's wicked pissa. It's Nevada. 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 Yeah. Right. So yeah, we are... Uh, we're very excited. Dan, of course, with this cosplay comes the selfie challenge. Mm-hmm. So you and I, for the first hundred selfies that people take with us in our scans at STLV, we are going to donate one dollar to the to the Nevada SPCA. So all people have to do is take a photo with us in uniform and then post it to social media tagging us and the shelter. And and that's all you have to do. Um we're going to donate a buck, and then our friends at the GNT show have said they will match that dollar. So, Dan, we'll be donating $2 per selfie to the Nevada SPCA, and I think that's just amazing. Money well spent. But I have a question about the selfies. Yeah. Do they have to be full-body selfies so that they can see these these gorgeous gams of ours or just regular? Hey, we're not the one taking the selfies. It's all what people want to take. So. That's what I like to hear. Um, but the more of your legs, the better. well thank you i I appreciate that so again for more information please head over to gofundme dot or sorry gofundme.com slash trek geeks i can't read this week either um well i haven't had a problem yet uh, yet the the (laughs) night is young and then you can take a look at the campaign and uh, you can share it with your friends you can share it on social media and you know dan any amount that people want to donate helps you know it doesn't have to be you know 50 bucks 100 bucks i mean $5, $10, it all goes to such a great cause in helping the adoptable pets in the metro Las Vegas area. We love pets. We love our pets very much. Uh, And all of this, we will never see any of this. This is going to go all directly right to them. uh, And it's for a great cause. So uh, help out the pups, help out the critters. And uh, thanks in advance, people. We love it. Anyone who knows me knows that my favorite Trek series is Deep Space Nine. I incorporate DS9 into almost everything. Twitter handles, email addresses, the license plate on my ridgeline. Oh, and a little something like my DS9 tribute tattoo on my shoulder. The show was phenomenal. The character development was second to none. And the acting was just awesome. The storytelling was so different from what we were used to with Trek. It was dark. It was dangerous. And it was deadly. When Bill and I started discussing podcasting about two years ago, we came up with a list of who we would like to have on as guests. And today's guest was the very first person on my list because one of his characters is one of my all-time favorites in all of Star Trek. 
You've seen him as the shapeshifter Laz. On Voyager, he played a Herogen hunter. And on Enterprise, he defended Captain Archer against the Duras family as a Klingon lawyer named Kolos. But we will always remember him as the man who grew up in the lowlands of Ketha province. A man who worked hard against seemingly insurmountable odds to become a mighty general in the Klingon Defense Force and eventually become Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. It is our distinct honor and privilege to welcome him to the show, the one and only General Martok himself, Mr. J.G. Hertzler. J.G., we are thrilled to have you on here, man. Oh, you wanted to talk to J.G.? Uh, this is Bob <laughs> O'Reilly. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, can I, let me see if I can find J.G. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's here. Um, well, uh, that's quite an introduction. Uh, I want to see that tattoo. Oh, I will be more than happy to show it to you, sir. Oh, is... no, not now, not now. No. <laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't well, have to drop his pants what. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. Well, I don't get to do that anymore. Nobody <laughs> asked me to see my tattoos. How about this five-pack? Huh? Well, I had a little surgery. Um, anyway, sorry, guys. Oh, no problem. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here. And, and I guess, J.G., the first thing is... Uh, you're actually the first person that we see on Deep Space Nine other than Picard on the view screen when you played the Vulcan captain of the Saratoga in Emissary. How did you later I, get cast to be Martok? I didn't realize that. I didn't I've I've never seen I've never seen Emissary. And uh so I, I didn't realize that I was the first <laughs> non-view screen image of the show. That's frightening thought. Uh, a huge responsibility. That's why they didn't bring me back for four years. Uh, and then they put me in a, a, a lot of latex. Um, but um, how did I do that? I, you know, I, I, I've told this story um, before, but I, I don't remember why I was doing the... Uh, but I got blown up immediately, or almost immediately. I got to say a couple of words, and then I got blown up. But uh, the funny thing about that uh, that show, when the ship gets ex uh, is exploded by whatever disruptor weapons are on me, um, I don't know how Avery survives. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I got blown up, and and the, I was supposed to blow straight up through the uh, the roof of the. Um, the top of the, the the starship. Oh wow! And uh, they they had a spring giant spring loaded machine in the uh, studio to just you know just rip me off the seat and you know bam go up uh, up and of course it was a it was a uh, a stuntman and he was a little I mean I'm big enough he was a little heavier than me and uh, when when the spring sprung. Uh, he sort of, it wasn't, he was too heavy for the space, so it didn't rip him. He sort of slowly ascended into the heaven, and uh, they never used that, I don't think. I think he just ends up on the floor, you know, but uh, yeah, that was a funny thing. Anyway, um, I auditioned for a lot of, I auditioned for them. You remember that old cartoon about the sheepdog and the and the coyote? Sure. Or, uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, Wiley Cody. It was a sheepdog and a wolf, I guess. Yep. Uh, and they both check in with punch cards in the day because it's hey Ralph, hey Harry, <laughs> and then they start chasing each other. That's what it was like auditioning. After that, I I I must have auditioned for 
uh, about 12 or 13, 14 times before I got uh, Martok. Wow. I kept going in for things. And I finally went in. I said, uh, they said, I said, what's the audition for? And my agent said, uh, it's for Star Trek DS9. I said, oh, Christ. They know. I, there's nothing I can do that I haven't already done. What are they? I mean, uh, I, that's it. Um, I only have like uh, angry and angrier. That's all I got. Uh, so anyway, I went in for it and um, I said, okay, I won't be a regular Klingon. I'm just going to be a, uh, I'm just going to do a, a cerebral, intellectual, quiet, unassuming, um, conspiratorial Klingon. So I went in and I did that. And, um, and there was a pause and they said, um, now, John, do you know what a Klingon is? And I said, uh, oh, right. You mean you want me to be loud, obnoxious, overbearing, angry, hostile? Um, and they said, um, yes. <laughs> and, and so I, I did it again. And I was already angry about something else that day. And I ripped, uh, I threw a chair into the wall. And those old chairs in this, in the um, those old buildings, the folding chairs in those old studio buildings at, at Paramount have really sharp. Uh, if the rubber comes off the leg tip, it's a really sharp angle. Oh. And I threw the chair into the wall, and it stuck because it's it's uh, it's not drywall in those old studios. It's um, lathe and 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 plaster. Wow! So it went right between two pieces of lathe, I guess, and stuck in the wall. Um, and uh, and I ripped part of my thumbnail off when I did that. And so I was bleeding while I was doing the audition in all those ways I thought that they wanted, you know, angry, overbearing, loud, obnoxious. Um, and there was another pause after that. And I was, my thumb was just dripping blood and they said, thank you. <laughs> and, and I left. And, uh, anyway, Oddly, my one of my best and closest friends, a, a guy I used to live with in New York, in the same house. Um, I used him in a show in Washington. Uh, I did an off-Broadway show that went to New York as off-Broadway show called Practice. And uh, Ron, Canada, um, was my one of my best friends from D.C. And he needed a place in New York, so he moved into the house I was in. He eventually did. Anyway, we had the same agent. And his agent called and said, Ron, I got some good news and bad news. Because they had told him that the role of Martok was his, except for the fact they had to see one more guy. Oh. And that oh, was wow. me. And and so his agent said, well, I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> and he said, uh, you didn't get the role, but your best friend did. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, one of the chances in the Hollywood with 7 million actors in right. it, you know, that we'd both be up for the same role. But um, anyway, it's worked out. Ron has done a lot of films and uh, he eventually did uh, a Star Trek too, uh, a, a few uh, roles on Star Trek. It's interesting. When you were cast as Martok, originally we only saw him for the first episode or I think a couple episodes. Did you know when you were cast as him that he would be much more involved in the show no. as the seasons progressed? No, it was uh, no, it was um, just the two-parter of yeah. uh, Way of the Warrior. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, Way of the Warrior, they originally were supposed to uh, – Galron was supposed to be the, uh, the founder. Okay. The uh, shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. 
And they they thought, well, maybe that's just too packed. That Galvan, with all his evil qualities, would be. Uh, of course, he would be the shit. But so they changed it to my character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they must have saw something. They must have seen something. Um, uh, Ira Bear said, uh, spoke to me. He said, you know, we're going to bring you back. Um. Because it, 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 we, we realized that, oh, a wharf can have a friend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's hard to be Worf's friend. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's a very friendly guy. A little bit, yeah. Uh, he's not, he's not Mr. Uh, let's go out and have a drink. Come on. Uh, you know, Nog. Um, uh, so anyway, that's why I came back and, uh. And when I did come back, it was on that uh, prison ship. Uh, yes. And they said, and after the or during that episode, Ira said, that, you know, we can give you, we can give you your eye back. We, you know, give you an artificial eye. And I said, oh man, no, don't give me an eye. Just let the the hideous scars be there, because no Klingon would opt to, uh, you know, get rid of scars if he had the choice. Right. Um. So. Um, they kept it, and that's when they tried to cover up the wrong eye because I have a bad left eye, and so they they go, they tried to cover up my right eye, and I said, "No, nah, I I know how much you like to cover up right eyes, but um, but no, I can't see anything. I'll knock over everything." That's great. <laughs> so, um, so in the course of doing this podcast, we have encountered so many people who are discovering Deep Space Nine for the first time, and they're loving it, and it's even some people who who confessed they didn't like it the first time around in first-run mm. syndication. In, yeah. in your opinion, why do you think so many people are coming back to it, and why do you think it's starting to resonate with people now? Well, that's a good question. I think that uh, I think the acting was um, a generally wonderful, honest acting. Even uh, I, I think... If you if you if the characters in a production are are emotionally accessible to the audience, the audience sees that and will and you can't be unless you're you know uh, um, uh, Harry Mudd. You you can't be dishonest in a performance. You have to you have to be as honest as you can possibly be for the audience to connect with that person. Um, you know, it's like Hillary. Uh, Hillary had a problem because she didn't come across as honest. Right. Uh, not to get too political, but she built a wall in front of herself. And you didn't really see the person. And I think that's why people couldn't latch on to her. And I think that's why you can't latch. I mean, politics is, as, as my great late friend, um, Garibaldi, uh, Jerry Doyle said, politics is a show business for ugly people. Uh, <laughs> that was, Jer- I don't, do you know, did you guys know Jerry at all? No. I, just his work. He was great on B5. Jerry is a, was perhaps the funniest man I've ever seen on stage. Uh, I completely disagree with him politically, but in terms of being funny on stage and telling a story, there was nobody like him. And, um, uh, that's what he said. And it is, it's a, uh, you know, politics is basically show business. You're playing a role 
and uh, you're, you're, the stakes are real uh, as opposed to being written by somebody else and you're pretending that they are real as best you can, but the stakes are real. And I think honesty in the performances is what's, what it's about. And, and with honesty comes a little depth. And the writers, Ron Moore um, is just a wonderful human being, wonderful guy. I, I can't say enough about him. And he gave so much backstory for the Klingon culture in everything that he wrote. Um, he loved Star Trek. Uh, he loved Star Trek. And... Um, from, you know, from a, a, a child. You know his story, he submitted a script as a fan. And you, you know that story? Yeah, he sort of just dropped it off one day on a tour. Right, right, on a freaking tour. <laughs> he, uh, he dropped off a script, and uh, it was great. And they liked it, and they brought him in, and he became, you know, first of all, a, a contributor, and then a writer, and then an executive writer, and then a producer, and executive producer. Gone off and done many things, but... Um, I uh, I had a lot of talks with him. Um, he wrote a wonderful episode, uh, but it's the writer. I, I won't go there yet. But the writers um, for DS9, there were, you know, there was uh, uh, um, Hewitt Wolf, uh, Rene Echeverria, uh, Hans Beimler, and I'll tell you a story. Excuse me, a story about Hans Beimler, um, and Ira, and Ron. And uh, I'm forgetting two or three people here. Uh, anyway, it, it's. Uh, um, uh, I also write. Uh, I mean, when uh, as you get older in in Hollywood, unless you're unless you're a real uh, major star, the jobs become few and far between as you get older. Because there's all those stars that want to do the, you know, the, that have semi-retired and they're available, and they say, "Oh, sh I can, you mean I can work with." Uh, you know, Chuck Connors, I can work, you know, um, these people, these, your guys are too young for these names. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no, I remember the Rifleman. I used to watch that every Saturday morning. All right. You know, he was the first baseman for the, uh, I think, Boston or uh, Chicago. Chuck Connors was a, a national, base, national uh, baseball player, Major no League idea. Baseball player. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, so I, so you're right. So a lot of people get to writing and I've always written, I've always directed for the stage. Uh, I taught at Cornell here, uh, for a while. And, um, I've always, I've spent half my career as an actor, as a director, um, theater career. And, um, and I got into writing. Writing is basically directing, but you're making it up from the very beginning as opposed to interpreting somebody else's words. Um, and I wrote a script called uh, uh, Dancing with Sancho Panza. It's about the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s that started the, basically was the introduction to World War II. And uh, you, you know the famous painting by uh, Picasso Guernica, mm -hmm. Guernica um, uh, about the, that was the first time the Germans did carpet bombing of a, a civilian population. That's what was so hideous about it. War had not come to that point until then. Um, and Hans Beimler's grandfather. Oh, there was a group of um, there was a group of Germans that volunteered to fight against the Nazis in Spain, and they were called the Thielmans. And there was about a thousand of them. And Hans Beimler's grandfather was one of the leaders of that anti-Nazi German group from Germany. 
Wow. To fight against Hitler and Franco in Spain. And there's a song that is the, it's one of the anthems of that, of the, what I the Republican side, which was the anti-fascist side in Spain. It's Hans Beimler's hymn. And they, it's a song written, of, and this, and his grandson was one of the writers on this show. And uh, we talked a little bit about it, but uh, I didn't realize this until the last season. Anyway, um, the depth of knowledge and sensitivity that the writers brought, as well as some damn good actors. You know, mm-hmm. there's nobody like Rene Auberginois. There's nobody like Armin Shimmerman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these these people are um, are treasures for the American theater, and that came through wonderfully in in uh, DS9. You know, it's um, definitely it was a mar- remarkable group of people. Definitely. You, you mentioned, uh, JG, that you've done some writing. Um, you've dabbled in novelization for Star Trek with the Left Hand of Destiny series that was co-authored with Jeffrey Lang. Uh, was this project something that you started or were you asked to collaborate on it? And more importantly, is it something that you're interested in continuing on sometime down the road with Martok well, novels? My, to answer your last question first, what, I'm, what I want to do, and I haven't even started pursuing it, but I want to try to talk Paramount into letting me do the uh, the audio book for um, the Left Hand of Destiny. Oh, that would be because, great! Because be I awesome. did uh, I did an audio book last year for Macmillan Publishing called Barsk, uh, the Elephant Graveyard. It's a sci-fi book, sixty thousand years in the future, written by Lawrence Schoen, uh, who's a Star Trek uh, uh, fanatic aficionado, and he anyway he's a brilliant man. So. And I've done so much voice uh, for various uh, games and and, uh, and voiceovers that um, I think I can do it. I think I can talk them into it. But Terry Erdman, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know Terry or not, and Paula Block, they were both uh, with CBS and Paramount and Star Trek. Terry came to me and said, would you be interested in writing a book? Because I, I had pitched several ideas to DS9 by that point. So they knew I wrote, I dabbled. So Terry asked me for if I wanted if I'd like to write a book, and um, I said, "Yeah." He said they're looking for a, a Arthurian legend mm-hmm. sort of thing, and uh, I said, "Well, I, I know that inside and out." Um, who's Lancelot? They said Warf. Oh, good. I, can I kill him? Uh, <laughs> they said, "No, you can't kill Warf." I said, well, "I'll have to kill myself." They said, "No, you cannot kill major characters in your books." I said, "Okay." Well, I have to kill my wife then. That's why. I, <laughs> that's why I had to knock off Sorella. Oh, Sorella. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but because um, <clears throat> there had to be a big, there had to be a cost to what right. happens in life, and uh, that was the cost that mm-hmm. our talk had to pay. But yeah, no. I they, so I wrote the first treatment. Uh, it's about eighty pages, and then um, the first uh, book, and uh, then my daughter was born. And, and my writing time was like from 6 a.m. to 12, 5 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, and suddenly all that was taken up with Hana, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I would uh, spend the mornings with her. So I didn't get much writing done. And I said, uh, uh, and Marco Palmieri is a wonderful editor at um, Simon & Schuster said, um, I, I know you have a second one started. Um, do you think 
uh, would a would a uh, uh, a co-writer help? I said, if they're if they're knowledgeable about DS Nine and Star Trek, yes. So um, that's when Jeffrey came aboard. Jeffrey improved every strength that was already in the first book and the second, and he eliminated all the weaknesses that I had written into it. Hmm. So um, it really is a tremendously collaborative effort, and I am I'm prouder of nothing more than I'm prouder of that book. Uh, awesome. Because I love the story, and I love the, I love the characters that, that were I'm- created. I'm a big fan of the DS novels, as a lot of our, uh, excuse me, of the Star Trek novels, as a lot of listeners know. And these two were just phenomenal. I, I thought they were spectacular, great, great storytelling. It's a great yarn, and uh, it's and I, t- I have to give uh, Jeffrey the kudos for the, um, uh, you know, for really building a, a structure, trimming it to a structure that was really a, a wonderful storytelling. You're right. I mean, that it's a, it's a, it's a yarn and it's a, for me, it's a great yarn. I, I, anyway, <laughs> it's, um, it, <clears throat> Dan raves about Star Trek novels and in particular that one. So that's, that's certainly not uh, faint praise on his part. He, He's a big novel geek, more so than I am, and uh, he keeps begging me to read it. So one of these days I'm actually going to do it. I, I say, uh, Wait for the book. Wait for the book. <laughs> <laughs> the you know, audio book. Yes. That's, I would love that. That's that perfect would be great. for me. Uh, JG, you talked a few minutes ago about amazing actors, and I think one of the things I love most about DS9 is just the sheer gravitas that Avery Brooks brings to Benjamin Sisko. As an actor, what's it like to shoot a scene with someone like Avery? Because I, I know he's intense probably both during and between takes. Is there any one memory with him that stands out? I, I have a few, and it's, uh, I love, uh, I love <laughs> telling this one story. But the first one is um, when I, let's see, when I, in Way of the, was it Way of the Warrior? I don't remember now. When was Avery and, and uh, Avery and and uh, Miles and Renee Klingons. dressed as Klingons. Season five, I believe. Yeah, I five. I'll check that real quick. Well, the, in that when they were all dressed as Klingons, Avery never complained, but Renee and Miles especially complained about all the freaking makeup. <laughs> you know, they were just they were just annoyed all the time, which was good for being a Klingon. Um, but I had a scene where I had to talk to Avery's character, uh, the Klingon Cisco. It was between, uh, it was through bars. They were, I had them in jail somehow, yes. some sort mm-hmm. of jail. And so it's really hard to shoot between bars because the camera, you can't be out of line a quarter of an inch. Otherwise, you lose half their face. You know, it's really a hard thing, both for the camera people and the actors to be in the right place talking, mm-hmm. let alone doing the words, right? And then forget about even getting the emotion into it or the honesty and back of it. It's got to be there. <sighs> so I was I had a really long speech, and I was working the, my ass off trying to get this speech out. Meanwhile, in the deep background, 
were were Renee and Miles just goofing off with each other about their Klingon makeup. They were just <laughs> they were like children with cookies. And <laughs> and and finally I was trying to, I was doing this speech and trying to be as intense as possible and you know you will stay in here until whatever. Um and Avery couldn't take it anymore. He turned around and said, please, there is a man working up here. You will pay attention or you will not be in this scene. You know, and they were, they froze like children. Wow. You know, they were like, what? <laughs> and so that was, if that was the fifth season, then that was my early return to the show. Yes. And I had to sort of fit in. And it's a hard thing for a guest actor to fit into a solid crew, you know, to fit into a cast that had been together for five years. Right. Yeah. Um, so without Avery saying that, I, that would have been an impossible scene. I would have looked like squat. And um, I am forever in his debt because he really he created space for me in the cast. That's what he did. That's great. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, actually uh, the season opener for season five, Apocalypse Rising, which is oh, it's okay. good to see them all in Klingon makeup. So they they all had to go through what you had to go through on a daily basis, basis right. in the makeup chair. <laughs> right, right. It was very funny. They were complaining. But um, the second thing is this. Avery was the quietest actor. Very quiet. You know, he, when he would pronounce every... Uh, Every syllable and consonant that you, was in the speech, he would pronounce it. And it was beautiful. When he directed, and he directed the best, I think, episode of the entire series, Far Beyond the Stars. Mm -hmm. yes. yep. He became the loudest director I've ever worked with. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember he and Renee walking off the set and I was sitting in the director's chairs. You know, you all have these cloth back chairs off the set when you're waiting to go to your scene. And I was sitting there as Roy Rittenhouse in my uh, normal human garb. And Avery and Renee were walking off the stage and Avery was saying, no, no, no. I want the, I want the, um, the anger that I, I know you have it in you. I want that kind of anger. And Renee said, well, that's what I was giving you. He said, no, I, it's, you gave me this. I, what I need is this over here. I need this kind of, well, that's what I was doing. I can't do any more anger than that. No, Renee, please, what, what you're not hearing, I need the white hot anger. I need the, the white hot burning coal anger. He said, that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. And he said, no, but it, there was a, there was a mollification of it. What I need is the real. And, he, and Avery says, that's what I did. That's what I did. <laughs> and Avery says, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. That's it. And, and Renee said, well, that's mine and you can't have it. <laughs> I have never heard anything like that in my life, you know. That's mine, and you can't have it. <laughs> That's great. Um, you mentioned something a minute ago that made me uh, think of a question. I think it was the makeup, and that um, is, 
You do a lot of makeup at conventions. Bill and I had the opportunity to go to a convention in Boston back in 2014, and we saw you and and Gowron, Bob O'Reilly himself on stage in full makeup and wardrobe. The show was awesome. And um, seeing the guests at a Trek convention in costume as their characters isn't something that we had actually ever seen before. Was this something that you guys started to think about doing and it just caught on? Because we know that um, Rom and, and Nog do it now as well. Right. Um, and it's well, a great way to interact with the fans. Yeah, it was, for the, it was basically to get more work for us because we, Bob and I, you know, we're just O'Reilly and Hertzler. You know, it's, uh, it's not Galron and Martok. Without the look, that's not who we are. Right. right. So I think the fans were getting tired of saying, who are those two old guys, you know? <laughs> Uh, uh, but so I said, you know, something we might, we might do is to, let's get dressed up. Let's do the, let's do the Ridge. And I, I had to convince Bob of it, but, uh, he came around and John Paladin has been doing makeup for Klingons, uh, for a long time. And he was really good at it. And you have to be, you have to know what you're doing. You can't just ask anybody to, to get right. into makeup for it. So, so we started doing it and sure enough, it, uh, the, the, the fans, the, the guys wanted to, people wanted to get their picture taken with Gal, not with John and Bob, but with, um, Gal Ron and Martok because there was a transition there. There was, it was a, it was, they were Klingons and in Atlanta at Dragon Con, uh, Kirsten, uh, True Blood, you know, you know Sam and Lafayette, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten Bauer wanted to get her picture taken with the two Klingons, so <laughs> we did. And Sam's on the outside of me, or no, Lafayette was on the outside of me, and Sam was on the outside of Bob, and in the middle was uh, Kirsten. <laughs> and without talking to each other about it. They took a series of like three or four shots, and the first shot was we're all standing there, sort of smiling as if a Klingon could smile, <laughs> and then then the second shot is Bob and I are sort of both looking at Kirsten, and then the the third shot is we're both going into her neck for a big bite. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Sam and Lafayette are completely unaware of what's going on. <laughs> They're maintaining the same exact expression. <laughs> That's anyway. Uh, I actually uh, had the opportunity to get a photo op with the two of you and later had that photo autographed by both you and Bob. And one of the things that stood out for me is how involved you guys are. It's not just, okay, take your picture, walk away, or sign the autograph and walk away. You have conversations with the fans, and that's something that's very important, that interaction. Um, is that uh, how, many, how many conventions do you do in a given year where you're doing this? Well, it's not from the convent, number of conventions that we do. Is my back, my you know, I've been in theater for forty-five years, mm-hmm. and um, and I've performed for audiences of two 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 old ladies with umbrellas sitting in the rain watching the the uh, passion play. You know, I've performed for nobody in the audience, and I've performed for audiences of three thousand. Mm-hmm. and done Broadway and done major regional theaters and the biggest theaters there are. And without the, without people sitting out there, without an audience, what the hell would my life amount to? Because I'm, a, I'm an actor. Right. 
and without a and on stage the audience is uh, is a character without the audience reaction which is visceral um you can't maybe hear it but you feel it and it's an it, it's just another the uh, the audience is another actor with every moment on stage and so you get used to the obligation of you as an actor to give them something that moves them in, uh, informs them educates but mostly it's about moving them mm-hmm. uh either to a happy place or to a very sad place um and everything in between and it, in telling a story that way, it, it, I think there's so many. That's another thing about uh, DS9. There are so many stage actors on that show, including Avery, who teaches theater in in uh, at Rutgers. Uh, Renee is the greatest um, American farceur mm-hmm. for Moliere uh, in this country, the American stage. The people I've mentioned, almost all of them including Bill Shatner, for heaven's sakes. He started doing Shakespeare up in Stratford right. in Canada. Right. Yeah. That's where yeah. he began. That's right. And um, so right from the beginning on Star Trek, this has been the case. But with the stage actor, you have an obligation to the audience. It's not, you're not acting for the camera. You're acting for the people watching at home. And you're acting for the fans out there. And you're doing your job for them. And... It's just, I don't know how to put it. It's just built in to my, um, I, I probably have always had it. I need to entertain. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, you know, Bob has it too, but it's, I think it's very strong in me and I don't know where it comes from because the first musical I ever saw was one that I was in. Uh, you know, my back, my parents, uh, my dad was in the Air Force. My mother was a high school teacher, French and Latin teacher. And um, we didn't have any uh, books. <laughs> we, we didn't do any, uh, we didn't do any plays. We didn't, never went to the theater. Uh, it wasn't about that. Um, but the but the drive to entertain people, it just happens. I, I, I don't know where it comes from. It's a, It's an odd human trait you know well speaking of entertaining you have to tell the truth on this one now this is a this is a very important question who is the better rapper you or O'Reilly? <laughs> i am a thousand times better than bob he doesn't even bother learning the words of- it's because I wrote it. Everybody acts in us. What is the matter? The ratings, the action. Even the babies are getting fat. It's the Klingons, baby. The Klingons. Ain't no Klingons, baby. Where are the Klingons? Now, Enterprise ain't running into episodes of shooting natal ridge on the bridge. They started out losing. Tracked without Klingons? What could they be thinking? Wine without blood isn't even worth a drinking. If there's a problem, yo, we'll resolve it. You kill them all first. That's the only way to solve it. Klingons, baby. The Klingons. Pound, Dominion, even the Tricky Borg. Ain't nothing next to us. Who won that freaking war? That's that awesome. is the best moment ever on D, on this podcast, right there. <laughs> well, it's funny. Wow. Hey, um, JJ, you got one more question before we wrap things up. And um, yeah. both Bill and I are are so proud to be DS9 fans, and we're equally proud to be contributors to the upcoming DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind. 
Right. Is there anything that you can tell us about your involvement in that project and what fans can expect, or is it still under wraps, like tight? Well, I don't know if it's under wraps. I haven't done anything yet. I'm supposed to do a voiceover for the uh, Star Trek Online game in June. I don't know Sweet. what the dates are. Sweet. But that's I'm, I'm going out there in June. Uh, Cryptic Studios is in uh, mm-hmm. Los Gatos. Um, and I know that area very well because that's where I was the artistic director of a Shakespeare festival for many years um, in the 80s. Um, but I don't have a date for it yet. Mm-hmm. When I do that date, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly down to, um, to L.A. to work on uh, or talk to Ira about, the, um, uh, about a contribution to, the, uh, to the, what we leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's all I know at this point. Okay. We're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be quite a, quite a, a project to watch. Um, I'd love, I can't wait to, uh, you know, I can't wait to have it, see it myself. It's like a, you know, it's like a scrapbook down memory lane for that matter. For yeah, me. it really is going to be something. Um, going to wrap up JG. I wanted to, uh, take a, a moment to, uh, uh, to, to talk to you about something as we wrap up and I'm going to try to get through it without, uh, without stopping. Um, <clears throat> be serious for a second. I wanted to take a moment uh, as we wrap up the discussion to do something that I've tried to do with every DS9 guest that's come on the show. Mm-hmm. We've talked to Nana. We've talked to uh, Andy Robinson in the past. Um, all of all of Bill and I's listeners know that I went through a very dark time back in the late '90s, uh, and actually got to the point where I was about to take my own life. Um, I don't exaggerate when I say that the one thing that stopped me that one fateful night was the fact that Deep Space Nine was playing on my television. I had a VHS tape of episodes playing when I was planning on ending everything, and that one episode made me stop, and it made me think. And after that night, the universe that you helped create helped me when I needed it the most. So... I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your contributions on making that universe such a special one and one that helped me survive. Um, I hope that we can meet up in STLV so I can shake your hand and personally thank you and also show you my DS9 tattoo. Um, (laughs) And to quote General Martok, Mm. it is you who honor us, and I am eternally grateful for your contributions, JG. Well, that's a powerful thing to tell me, and... um Thank you. Thank you, Dan. It's, uh, you know, what can I say? There's, there's no appropriate response to that, except uh, I'm glad I was there in some form for and, you. And yeah. I am I am too. It is, it is a distinct pleasure and honor to get to talk to you and share that with you and get all of your... Um, all of your thoughts on what was such a magnificent seven seasons of DS9. You are Star Trek legend, and we cannot wait to see what else you have in store down the road. Thanks, JG, for joining us so much and uh, continued success, sir. We really appreciate it. Dan, uh, thank you much. I have, I, I, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I have a very bizarre thing coming up that I, I, I have, I, I can't even begin to tell you what it is, <laughs> but it crosses a lot of lines in life. You'll, I'll, I'll let you know because now I have your phone number. Yes. When it's about to happen. Well, we can't wait to hear about it, man. It's going to be great. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Bill, Dan. Thanks, JG. Hasta luego. Thanks, JG. 
Dan, what a fantastic conversation with JG. You know, we didn't get this you know, part recorded, but before and after the recording, we laughed with him a lot. We laugh so much that the train going down the road is uh, is very excited right now. If you can ca- if you catch that in my mic, yeah, it was it was a great conversation. Um, it, it's it's something that we've seen with just about everyone we've talked to who have been stars of these shows that we love so much. They're just normal people, and they love having a great time and kicking back and 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 joking around and having fun with the people that are are interviewing them and and hold them on such high pedestals, to be honest. Uh, JG was great to talk to, loved it, and loved getting his insight into what it was like to be on that show with those amazing other actors that uh, that he discussed through the course of the interview. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I always look, I always like seeing Trek alum in various things. So like, you know, after Deep Space Nine ended and JG turned up in HBO's Six Feet Under, I was like really psyched. It was only a couple of episodes, but, you know, he played a, a character very different. And I love seeing the different roles that these actors take on. And JG is certainly no exception. No exception at all. And like, it's always exciting when you see, um, Star Trek alum in different shows. You're like, oh my God, he was this or, oh, he was that. And, and JG certainly is no exception. And he's always done fantastic in everything he's done. He really has. We truly can't thank him enough. I look forward to uh, hopefully meeting up with him in Vegas and uh, and thanking him in person and shaking his hand. Just what a, uh, what a great guy to spend an hour talking to. Yeah. Something I look forward to as well is that, uh, uh, meeting him in person, like I mentioned to him, uh, shaking his hand and thanking him. It's going to be quite quite an emotional moment for me, I'm sure. Without a doubt. Dan, we want to remind people how they can subscribe to the Trek Geeks podcast. Lots of new people getting exposed to the podcast, even just this week. And uh, some of them may not know how they can get this podcast automatically. So why don't you uh, give us a bit of a look into that? It is so simple to do this, Bill, that even you could do it. So it's got to be pretty simple, I got to say. Um, you know, nothing. you're not going to say anything to that, huh? They're just going to let it go? There's really nothing to say. <laughs> I'm not that bright. It's, yeah, you folks, you can have every episode of Trek Geeks automatically downloaded right to your mobile device by heading on over to subscribe.trekgeeks.com. Uh, and every Tuesday on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or any other device, you can get the podcast downloaded automatically. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or you can go right over to trekgeeks.com and listen to it. It's great. We're happy to have it out there for you. It's your independent Star Trek podcast delivered your way, so make it so. Ah, I love it. (laughs) We're very thankful for everyone that takes the time to download the show. Seriously, it means the world to Dan and I that you choose to spend time with us, so thank you so much. Dan, we also want to thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. They provide every last bit of music you hear on Trek Geeks, and we are so indebted to them for how kind they are to us. Um... Dan, did you know that they are presently working on a brand new album titled Year Four, my friend? Year Four? I did, Ye- not, I did not know that. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> you I, did. I, we <laughs> talked about that before. You're just forgetful. So, yeah, whether it's Year One, Year Two, Year Three, uh, Trouble with Tribble, Spock's Brain, which is <sighs> one of my favorites of all time, mm-hmm. we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. If you don't have those albums yet, please. Pick them up. Check them out. You are going to become as huge a fan as we are of their music, and um, we just can't say enough great things about them. 
We can't say enough great things about every single member of the band. We love them so much. We love their music. But I got to tell you, there's one that always stands out to me, Bill. And I saw this new Star Trek character the other day, and I wanted to tell you all about it. Oh, yeah. He, he is a glorious drummer, Bill. But he is not of noble blood. He's just a humble man from the Ketholowans of the state of Illinois. And he had to work hard to become the drummer of the entire Alpha Quadrant. He is General Fark Talk. Oh, my. I thought you were going to go Marfark. <laughs> Marfark? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a point of correction, I don't know where Illinois is in Fark's life, but I know he's pretty much in Indiana. Illinois, Indiana? I thought it was in Illinois. No, I checked Facebook the other day, man. I double-checked that. I'm telling you right now. Yeah, you're full of crap. <laughs> Spark, can you correct that for us, please? One of us is wrong, and I'm probably sure it's me. It um, is. So, fiveyearmission.net, please show them some love and support. We'd really appreciate it. Dan, next week, you and I are going to do something a little different, and we're going to talk about a topic that is kind of very far-reaching in the Star Trek universe. It is very far-reaching, but I am going to correct you, Bill. I do have to. I have to step back now. I, if, as you remember, the character of General Fark talk was he grew up in the lowly Ketha province of Illinois. And that is where Frock did grow up. He may live in Indianapolis now, sir. But he grew up in Illinois. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be talking about the single most important and probably the most often broken rule in all of the Federation. It's not time travel. It's the prime directive right here on episode 104 of the Trek Geeks podcast. I'm sorry, fourer? Fourer, yes. <laughs> or as the rest of the world would say, 104. 104. <laughs> the Prime Directive next week on Trek Geeks. We hope you'll join us. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions. Online at the thetricordertransmissions.com. Dan, they've got a, a veritable cornucopia of podcasts Ooh. over there with uh, Shore Leave and their flagship show, and now Trek Ranks, hosted yes. by our great friend Jim Morehouse. We, uh, we love them, we love everything they do, and we want everyone to check them out. And Dan, of course, for all the latest news on all the Star Treks, <laughs> please visit our great friends at treknews.net online at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 103 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Look at this wharf barely moving. Ugh, I'd give my good eye for a fresh plate of coconut. Now, see, when you said, look at look at this, I thought you were going to go, look at this. Ma <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's next week. Oh, oh, sorry. Of course, I forgot to go bing bong. <laughs> bing bong. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Okay, okay, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Sue and I are for, going for a walk the other night, and I said, okay, the, the, the quote-unquote studio is now just about finished. I got to name it something. Okay. 
So I'm like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So I'm like, I don't know, 10 forward? <laughs> she laughs and goes, well, it's kind of in the back of the house, so maybe 10 backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to come up with a name. Um, I was going to call it the outhouse. But we're inside. Uh, yeah, but nothing but crap happens there. Wow. <laughs> okay, you've been waiting for days to say that, haven't you? No, I just came up with that off yeah, the top of my head. Yeah, yeah it sounded like it. <laughs> right. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to look nice. I'm going to start hanging up a lot of Star Trek stuff here in the coming days. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get her to – I'm trying to let her uh, – trying to talk her into letting me buy a Star Trek comforter for the bed. But that's not going too good. Yeah. Yeah, not surprised by that, actually. Yeah. I do have my fleece gold command gold uh fleece blanket on the bed though and it looks it looks quite nice i'm sure it does it does do you ever podcast from you know while you're reclining in the bed there just sort of chilling no uh professional only uh unlike some people that podcast uh um in my chair at my official podcast desk and um you know reclining and getting comfortable you know you could you could not be as as good as as you want to be so i gotta have my full game going so i gotta be sitting in the chair and you don't have to say a word so just be quiet <laughs> Because I know you got something. You know, there are times where I just don't have to say it. Exactly. It's, you say it for me, practically. This, this may be one of those times. You know, I am so riding the high of the Discovery trailer still oh. that uh, I really don't care what you say. <laughs> well, hey, I got a surprise for you. You will, be, you will be happy to know in my, in my grubby little hands right now, I hold two pieces of Star Trek paraphernalia. And they, and they are, are our official, official, I say, QM brand Star Trek The Next Generation com badges for our scant cosplay in Vegas. Oh, nice. Yes. They got Those the nice awesome. magnetic clasp on the back. I took a nice bite out of yours, so it's got a nice scratch mark on it. It looks fantastic. I'm amazed you have teeth. <laughs> no, thank you very You're much. from Maine. You're wow, from Maine. I'm not from Maine. You are now. <laughs> I don't know if my wife's going to appreciate that comment. She's not from Maine. She just lives with you. She's from Maine. <laughs> no, no, no. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. Okay. You're holding her hostage. Wow. Like our episode one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and if she could get out of Maine, she would. All right. Well, you keep telling yourself that. Sparky. Sparky. <laughs> Sparky. Sparky. I said, you know, at, uh, at STLV, they were going to have a 10 forward set. Yes. And they released prices today. Oh, and, boy. And you can get pictures with cast members. Six of the main cast members, minus Sir Patrick, actually. Um, and it is, let's see if I can find who they are. I know Jonathan Frakes is going to be one of them. Uh, hmm. Yeah, Gates, Marina, Michael, Brent, LeVar, and, and Jonathan. Everybody but old Baldy. I don't know a price, though, but I'm sure it's not going to be uh, cheap. I'm sure it'll be cheaper than the full cast photo. Oh, I'm, oh you think? My God, yeah. airfare is cheaper than the full cast photo. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. I mean, yes. it's... Uh, yeah. Well, I, um, yeah. yeah. Hey, so uh, are you, uh, you ready to do this there, Chief? I'm always ready, man. I'm just waiting for you to catch up. Right. <laughs> Let's do it. Do it. <laughs>